Hello and welcome to another episode of Mastermind.fm. Your hosts today, as usual, are James Loss from Ninja Forms and myself, Jean Galea from WP Mayor and WP RSS Aggregator. Today we're joined by Andy Wilkerson of Parallelus. He's a theme author on Team Forest, very successful one at that, and he's recently acquired UpTeam. So we're going to be talking about those two topics, mainly the acquisition and his experience in selling on Team Forest. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting topic, so hang around if you're interested in themes and just running a WordPress business in general. Before we start off, let's take a short break from our sponsor and we'll be back with you with Andy as our guest. If your business is in the market for an excellent hosting service, take a look at Kinsta right now. They're a high-end, fully managed WordPress host powered by the cutting-edge Google Cloud platform for unparalleled performance and scalability. Kinsta's hosting service specializes in high-traffic and enterprise clients that need the best of what managed WordPress hosting has to offer. With locations across the globe, meshed with the Google Cloud platform and the latest in web technology, no one is positioned to serve you better. If lightning fast load times, rock solid stability under the heaviest traffic, and easy scalability into the future is important to your WordPress business, check out Kinsta today. So we are excited today to have with us Andy Wilkerson. Uh, he is a currently an elite, I like to say this because I think it's braggadocious and a little bit, um, I don't know, uh, it, just, it just feels snooty. So I like calling you an elite theme forest author. Uh, and he has recently just acquired Up Themes, which is a theme shop from uh, the people behind Lyft, I think is their agency name. And uh, it's, it's kind of transitioning there. So we're just excited. Andy, thank you for being on the show with us today. Thanks for having me, guys. So you kind of got started. If I, so Andy and I kind of have a little bit of history. We met, I believe... Uh, the first time we met, what, what, when was that? Was that? I saw you, or I heard you speak at WordCamp Nashville oh, three years ago, maybe? Yeah, that sounds, sounds about right. Because we talked, I, I gave a presentation talking about the challenges of running a WordPress business. And you came up and we talked a little bit, quite a bit uh, afterwards. And from that point forward, actually, we had kind of regular, we started having some regular communication here and there. So that's kind of how we. Yeah, I. I really connected with your part on um, doing support, and uh, I still to this day use one of the suggestions you gave in that talk about when you get uh, something from a customer, it's just like you can't believe what they've said to you, and you're like, you want to just you know go off, but you know you can't. And so we, we took the suggestion you gave, and we write what we want to say, and we send it to everybody else in the company, and then that kind of gets it out of you. you. You don't even care after that. You're like, okay, I can respond to this person now. And you, you could wait longer, but it's like, it's instant. You feel you feel better. You've gotten it off your chest and you, you respond to them, you know, really well. You give a great response. I, I still use that and I tell other people about it. I think it's, it is. It's a great technique. It, it kind of helps you kind of get it all off your chest and you kind of get to say it. And somehow just saying it to someone else, right? Just somebody else being able to feel your rage in that moment. Uh, helps. But I, I will say a good rule of thumb is don't make the mistake of accidentally writing that message in the support ticket to the customer because you might accidentally send it. 
Um, yeah, we usually <laughs> use Slack to exchange those. Yeah, that's that's probably a good idea. Anything that is private, not customer facing, that's probably the best place to do that. No, that's cool. I'm glad to hear that. And ever since we've kind of had that relationship, uh, kind of talked back, you've actually come and worked out of our offices for periods of time. Uh, and we've actually created a, a uh, honorary ninja uh, placard for you when you come and take over an office. <laughs> Yeah, that's always fun. I'm actually secretly there on behalf of Gravity Forms, just getting inside information. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. Uh, so you got your start in, really, you started selling, uh, as far as WordPress themes, right, on the Envato Marketplace, uh, what, seven years ago you've been doing this? Yeah, it was December of nineteen nine uh, of uh, 2009, and uh, that was a you don't want to launch a product and right before Christmas um, ever, but I went ahead and did that just for fun to see what would happen. So talk me through that process as you just got, you're just getting started. You're going to, you're going to launch your first uh, theme. What led up to that point? What were you doing before that time? Like give us a little bit of your backstory so we can understand, you know, how you kind of moved into that space. Yeah, sure. So I, I worked for a company that had a proprietary content management system. Uh, it was built on a classic ASP VB script uh, system and um, I went there uh, actually to be a designer and I hadn't done any web design in a few years because uh, I did it in high school just for fun, learning, you know, a hobby thing. And then when I got in college, I, I did it like the first year because I had time. But after that, my major was just so time intensive that uh, I didn't have time for hobbies, you know, and there was no web design in my major. So it was a design based uh, curriculum, but um, not heavily on the graphic side. Uh, so I got out of school and I had a job and all of a sudden it was like, wow, I have all this free time because I only have one class a day and it ends at five o'clock. So I would go home every night and be bored and I started doing web design again. And then I figured I'd look for like a part-time job, um, doing some, and I saw an ad for one that was a local place. And about halfway through the interview, I realized I had responded to a really old ad they hadn't pulled and they were actually looking for a full-time person. And they realized I thought I was interviewing for a part-time position. But I ended up getting the job offer and taking it. Um, about a year later, I had learned so much about the coding and the programming and the database design side of things that I took over as the lead product developer. And um, I learned so much in the next couple of years that when the situation came that I was I was wanting to kind of do my own thing and I was looking for what that was going to be, ThemeForest was a, a really great option where I could sort of test out how much people like my designs, like my ideas, like my concepts for the products and put it out there without having to do a whole lot of building up a customer base or uh, marketing, advertising, all that kind of stuff. I could it, cut through all those expenses and get it out there quickly and get a feel for it. Um, once I did the first one, I, you know, it was, it did not do well. It was not a very good idea or design. I, you know, I was just trying to get something done. I was forcing it. But the second one actually came to me as I think this would be really neat. And it sort of everything just sort of fell in place with that one. It was one of those projects where it's like everything you do, you just want to stand back from the screen and look at it and go, wow, that's so cool. And that doesn't happen very often. And I was about to go on a cruise with my wife because we were expecting our first child. And I wanted to go ahead and get it out. So I released it. And it was a huge hit. And so I'm actually on this cruise using the very expensive internet, <laughs> like checking in on it to see how it's doing, making sure I don't have support stuff coming in and all this. And I was just getting blasted by people asking for WordPress versions of it. 
and all I had was the HTML. So I, I'd learned WordPress, like I'd, I'd, I'd looked at it, I knew its database, its code structure, but I never built a theme. So I learned how real quick, used that crap theme that I did, the HTML version I did that I released in December as my test subject, did my first WordPress theme on that, and then immediately did the next one. And it, it took off to the extent that I realized, okay, I could actually build a business just off of doing this. And that's when I realized I'd, I'd quit my job, start my own business. I started putting things in place um, and uh, got the paperwork done, got a lawyer and did everything I needed to do, started my business. And then it was actually the same month my daughter was born that I, I quit my job and started my company officially. And I uh, got a lot of sideways looks on that one and people thinking I was crazy because the economy sucked and quitting a good job. So that is that's amazing, first of all. And I can I can I can almost feel the excitement and the energy being on a cruise, you're on vacation and and seeing like sales come in and seeing all this great positive feedback. But then I can also picture at that moment and I'm 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 not possible i'm not i'm not sure that this is exactly how it went down but i can almost feel the glares and stare of your wife saying we're on a cruise why do you keep looking at that why are you doing work um i feel like that's that's the next step but was she was your wife like super excited with you at that moment was it just like both of you had that like energy she wasn't super excited about the you know she was she was happy for me and she was very understanding. I was I was actually really good. I only used the internet, I think, three times on the full week cruise. Okay. And um, I I knew it was, you know, it'll be there when I get back. It was one of those rare moments in my life where I, like, did the thing I was supposed to. And I was like, you know what? I'm only going to be able to do this one time. It's all, our, We only have our first kid one time, our first whatever baby moon thing. I was like, I'll, I'm going to be here for this. And also... I needed a break. Like I was having a horrible time with my existing job and I wanted a vacation. So I did, I kind of stepped away from it. And in the back of my mind, I was excited. There was a little bit of a sinking feeling like the, you know, scare over, well, I have to go back and make this thing I've never made before. What if I mess it up? You know, I knew this one had a lot of potential. And my biggest concern was what if I blow it and put out a crap, you know, WordPress uh, theme and I don't know it's crap because I don't know what I'm doing with it yet. I don't have any experience there. Yeah. So. In the back of my mind, I had stuff like that, but I was excited. She was excited for me. Um, she, but she likes to wait and see things, like uh, see the results first. Like it's like, oh look, some sales are coming in, but you know that might just be because it's new kind of stuff. Yeah. So she's she's very rational. She's thinking it through <laughs> and she's saying, yeah, that's great, that's great. Let's see what we see when we get back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, knowing your wife, I can picture picture that uh, exactly how that plays out. Uh, so you know, you launched the theme there. It, you know, what the first one you said was December, like right before Christmas, then you launch another one that starts to take off a success. And at this point, it's not a WordPress theme, right? It's just an HTML template. Can you talk about the the Envato space at that time? I mean, this is seven years ago. Most of us know what Envato looks like today. And it's this kind of epic thing. Was it the same? Was it just like that? Or what was this? What, what did the space look like then? It was very different. Um, just... I guess the best reference I can give is to build a WordPress theme at that time and launch it. You know, if you took a month, that was a really long time. And it took me about a month, three weeks to do one because I'd spend at least two weeks just on the design concept before I would start doing anything. And usually people were doing an HTML version first back then, launching it, seeing what the sales were like and if they wanted to do the WordPress version. So, it was also a little bit like the wild, wild west of Envato back then because 
you didn't have to have, you had to have a good design. And if you got it out there, new stuff did well and it could, the top sellers list wasn't the same. Like, um, I mean, you've seen the numbers now, like a, a top selling item in the top five is doing somewhere between 300 and 1,000 sales in a week. Top selling thing back then in the top sellers list, uh, which back then is about the only time I'd ever really been on it, was in the top five was doing between uh, 50 and 30 and 50 sales a week. So massive difference in numbers. Um, also, one of the things back then that made it so competitive as far as people trying to get out as many as they could quickly, if you just had something that was a good sort of like gimmick, and I want to say 3D sliders as an example, <laughs> if you're the first one to get one out that uses that, your theme catches on, everybody else is just copying you. Um, it, and it worked. You just had to be the first one to come up with an original idea and get it out there. And little things like that were just like, everybody was looking for the next thing. And that's when the the slider revolution of revolutions happened. That was way before we had the stuff we have now. And just all kinds of people were pumping out their own sliders. And uh, that was the thing, you know, I, I got into it too. I always tried to find one little gimmicky thing to put in every theme that was like, oh, that's really neat. Had no purpose and no use. It was purely aesthetic, uh, but People love that kind of stuff. It helps them to make a decision to buy because it makes you stand out and it makes their site stand out and makes it memorable to people. So while it doesn't really have a function, um, I can't say that it's not a good thing to have if you can do it right. Well, I think that's true in every business, right? You need to find something that sets your product apart in some way. And sometimes that may be extremely cosmetic or extremely pointless in the grand scheme of things. But if it attracts people to your product, that's not necessarily a bad thing as long as it's done in the right way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you, you're you selling Anovado now. You started this the space you, in that space. It's still fairly young. Uh, how many themes between then and, say, now? It's been seven years. How many themes have you released on, on ThemeForest to date? Not a lot. I mean, even if you include my HTML stuff, I think I'm only around 15 or 16. Um, really a handful. I, I was, at the very beginning, I was doing uh, a theme a month up until my daughter was born. And then I did, I didn't do one for six months. Uh, but I had an idea for one at the time. And that idea molded around in my head. And then that one became a really big one for me. I had, I had the, I drew the design when I got home from the hospital with her. And then it just sat there and then a whole bunch of stuff happened in the meantime. And then I created it, um, in February of the next year. And, um, and then I didn't even launch it until like a month or two after that, but it did really, really well. And it set me up for entering into the, um, like the buddy press, uh, community type themes. And the timing on that was really good too, because that was starting to catch on. And I did, uh, six months later, I did a second version of that theme where I took the same structure and I built a, a new design with just a slightly different functionality, but it, I mean, drastically different design. So they were really targeting two completely different types of sites that would want to have a community to them. Um, and both of those did really well. And because of how well they were doing and because there wasn't a really great support structure in place and the price of themes at the time um, and that was also right at the time when Buddy Press started all of a sudden deciding they were going to start doing updates on the uh, on the plugin again, 
and there there were a lot of backwards breaking changes. So I ended up spending all of my time just doing support. So there was no time to work on new products. It was just nonstop support. And the sales were high enough that that was okay. I could do that. Um, it wasn't like now where a theme could kind of hit on the top sellers list and just stay there, you know, and sustain. Um, you know, you'd kind of meander around in the middle and you'd drop down a little, you'd come up. It wouldn't just like, things weren't just as quite as fixed as they are now. But still, that, that lasted to the point where I think I didn't really release a new theme for well over a year. Wow. So, yeah, and so as a result, I just ended up with a very low number of things. But then at that point, things had changed so much with the multi-purpose theme you know, evolution that to do a good theme that was going to be a top seller, and that's all I was really interested in doing, was really good products that were extremely functional and useful because that's actually my favorite part of it. I, I think probably where I have my greatest strength are between the design and the creative side of coming up with unique functionality and usability and ways to make things easier to use and more flexible for, for um, different ways of, uh, like maybe a different workflow of accomplishing the same thing, but that workflow is a little more fluid, that kind of stuff. I get really into that. And so I put tons of time, I think we spent a year uh, on the next theme. And that one did really well. It hit the top sellers list and it lasted, but after about a year, it had sort of fizzled out. So I, I just have very few themes um, because I tried to always do one that was going to be uh, a big one. You know, I didn't want to do a lot of little ones. But later, when the market changed, I did switch to I started doing more niche themes, and um, I had some good success with that. That was that was actually probably the most fun I had with themes was when I started doing the niche ones because I got to hit some of those little um, areas where I had a pet project that I wanted to do for a long time, like I. I don't know how many years I wanted to do a political theme. And until I started doing niche themes and the timing was right, I never got to. And so this opened up those kind of opportunities. Awesome. So we've been talking about your, your kind of your experience with Envato and, and what you've been selling there. We're going we're gonna to go ahead and transition and talk a little bit about where you are today, what you're working on right now, uh, your recent acquisition, and talk about that business uh, side of it. And before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take a break for our sponsors and we'll be right back. Mastermind.fm would like to take a moment to introduce you to Influx WordPress customer support. Helping your users understand and make the most of your product is an around-the-clock job, and even the largest businesses need a hand with support sometimes. Influx will augment your team and take the stress out of scaling and scheduling 24 hours a day, every day of the year. Pricing is transparent and scalable, so you're sure to find the service that's right for you and yours. Take a look right away at Influx.com to find your specialized WordPress customer support solution. Welcome back, uh, Andy. So we've been talking a little bit about your transition uh, in, through Envato, through the the first uh, really uh, from you know seven years ago till today. You have I, actually I have a question about that because you said you only have about fifteen, give or take fourteen or fifteen themes on Envato that you're selling. Is that correct? That number might be wrong. I can check right now. Let's see. I have exactly nineteen and about. A third of those are HTML templates. So a third of those are HTML t templates. Two-thirds of those are actually WordPress themes that people can kind of purchase and install immediately on their sites and start using. Uh, the reason I ask that is, at what point, so you're releasing these themes on Envato, at what point did you get to the place where you had a, where you felt like this is a profitable business? Like, you know, the numbers are coming in and this is enough because... 
when I think of seven years, I don't think of even 19, even even if those were all WordPress themes for me for some reason. I don't think that that doesn't feel like enough to sustain a business for seven years. At what point did you say, all right, we hit we hit profitability or we hit something that can can kind of sustain itself? It was the the second one I did that uh, the Unite wow. theme is what it was called. The very second, the, yeah, the second one I did when I converted it to a WordPress theme, um, I was making more from that than I was making from my full-time job. So really at that point, everything else you're releasing is just ends up being gravy, kind of adds on to it, or as it transitions, the next one carries your business into the next one and then to the next one. Is that kind of how that flow works? Yeah, it's just like that. I mean, if you can do what most people that were, you know, top sellers at the same time as me did, or some of them did, and they were able to get something that really caught on and at the time when that multi-purpose theme revolution was happening and really get it to stick up in there, you're still living off that one theme even now. It's your only business. You just stop producing new ones. Um, the one I did that was meant to be that one, it did not catch on quite that way. And in some ways, I think that's actually... Um, a lot to do with, at the time I had, um, I had never really taken time to learn about or focus on marketing and advertising. I, I just expected Invato to do all that for me. And some of these other themes, the authors of them, they were really uh, skilled at that. And they, I think, were able to find ways to bring in traffic of their own. Um, and I learned a lot actually from that, from trying to do that in, in my own experience. And I, I learned what doesn't work for sure. And since then I've um, had to learn what does work. And when I transitioned to doing the the niche style themes, it was just a little different because you don't really advertise the same way. You know, you kind of advertise directly to that market. You don't you don't want to you don't go broad scope. So, those things were all a learning experience for me, but um, there can be a massive amount generated from just a single item uh, if you have enough traffic and enough sales. I mean, Look at the ones that are doing, I mean, even at the bottom of the top sellers list now, I think it's doing 50 sales uh, a week. Right there, you can, if you're a single person, you can sustain off of that. Yeah, absolutely. So you're actually, you're you're in a stage at the beginning of this year, you started to make a transition uh, or at least uh, ex- expand your business on some level. If I remember correctly, it happened at, at at least the conversation started to dive deeper at Pressnomics. We've talked a lot about it before we went to Pressnomics. John and I did an episode about how to do get the most out of a out of your uh, conference visit, like how to how to make the to we to make make deals, build relationships, uh, and, and kind of engage the community. So. We did this podcast talking about it, but at Pressnomics, you were doing just that. You were starting a relationship and and having a conversation about a new phase. Can you talk a little bit about the beginning stages of your acquisition of UpThemes and, and what was going on at that time? Yeah, um, I wasn't looking to buy something at the time. I, I, I wasn't totally sure what the next phase was for me right then. I had several things that were already ongoing and I was working on. I had themes that I was still developing and working on releasing. Um, Lots of other things were changing around me at the same time as well that helped to make the decision for me. But um, when I met Chris and uh, his team at Pressonomics and uh, started talking with them about up themes, uh, I found out then, it was actually at the conference that I found out that they were interested in potentially selling it. So me being a theme seller and one of the challenges I've had with my attention to detail and wanting to build themes that were so vast and capable, 
uh, always slowed down my production. So having uh, a, a company at my disposal like UpThemes to have access to that inventory of themes and then potentially build on top of them or improve them in some way and make them uh, do more and be more capable, that was something that both uh, both sides, we both recognized that and it became a topic we talked about. We actually ended up talking about it mostly over a round of golf at the, the last day of Pressonomics and uh, I don't really golf so that was uh, that was pretty interesting. The one time I do go golfing, I end up uh, starting talks for an acquisition. <laughs> I learned a lot about their products and their company along the way. The Up Themes brand, I think, is a very valuable brand in that it's got a strong connection with the community, which is something I've been working very hard to build ever since uh, there started to be this negative connotation associated with Theme Forest a few years ago. And I never understood that because the things people were complaining about were never the things I was doing. And so it was frustrating to me to get lumped in with, you know, the 1%, we'll say, of Theme Forest where people were having these bad experiences. So um, with UpThemes having such a great brand and things like that, that was another thing that really attracted me because I know I can create good products. I know we can build quality things. And we one of the things we've always done really well is support. I would consider myself what I like to call a firefighter. I love to go put out these little fires for people and fix their problems because I feel good about it at the end of the day. Like I did something, but long-term doing that with support, it's just, it wears on me and I get tired and I can't, I get frustrated with people over things that there's not really a reason to get frustrated with them. They're actually asking a legitimate you know, great question. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? You know, in my head. But um, but I am, I am good at it and I'm actually drawn to it. So I have to go out of my way to make sure that I'm not getting distracted by dipping into the support forums all the time and trying to fix things for people. But uh, my lead support developer, or my, my lead support person, he's been with me for years now. He does a really great job. We tag team stuff and we get it done and we work with our developer that fixes stuff. And I mean, we, we have such a smooth process for handling, you know, issues come in, we test them, we fix them, we, you know, communicate with the customer along the process, we get a release out and we push it, you know, and it's so smooth, it's so fast and we're really good at that side of it. So I knew we take all those things, put them together, put them into a theme shop. If we've got the right brand and the right products, and the right support and bring all that together and you're going after the right customer, I think that's a really good business. And I think it's one that anyone involved in it can, they can be happy, they can enjoy it. I mean, I wanna be doing something that I like and I've I've never really done anything I didn't like. And every business I've ever moved away from it was because I became, you know, not tired of the business, but things outside of my control changed and I no longer liked it. So. This was the perfect opportunity at the right time in the right place. And, um, you know, we're pretty glad we did it. We're we're having some fun right now because it's still all the early stuff. Like there's so much blue sky. We have all these ideas and all these notes and all these plans for all the stuff we want to do. And I mean, that's just like, you know, when you get married, the honeymoon phase. I mean, I'm in the honeymoon phase of the acquisition. It couldn't be better. That, that's really cool. Andy, I've, I'm I'm curious as to how you started the conversation with Chris from UpThemes at Pressnomics. Say, if I had to go to Pressnomics to find a company I could acquire, what what would you suggest that I do or anyone else do to get into these conversations? Was it something that Chris was upfront about? Was it something that you inquired about? How did it work? Um, we were actually at lunch together, and um, I hadn't met Chris before. 
we ended up at lunch together because we both needed to talk to uh, Robbie from the Beaver Builder team. And um, he was going to lunch and we all, it was a big group. We went and I remember Chris making a joke to Robbie about, you know, how Beaver Builder could have its own theme shop if they just wanted to buy up themes. And it sounded just like a joke, but I kind of asked him the question. I said, are you guys actually looking for someone to possibly take over up themes? And he said, yeah, he said, that's something that we're interested in, you know, if, if it was the right uh, situation. So I kind of logged that away. And I think he did the same thing. He, I think he logged away that, hey, you know what? Andy might be interested in this and this might fit for him. One of the things about it was that um, from their standpoint, they put a lot of their sweat and love into up themes. I don't think they wanted to no longer do up themes. I think they just felt like they couldn't do it the way they wanted to anymore. And it's because they're so successful in other parts of their business that they were actually being dragged away from it. And it was kind of like me when I started with ThemeForest. I was dragged away from my current job, which I wanted to leave. But at the same time, I was given a fantastic reason to leave. You know, something I wanted to do that was making me money and... So I think they were in a similar situation. And that's why when we had a lot of our talks, I believe me having the wanting to do things with it that I did and wanting to keep a lot of it, you know, the way they had built it was an important aspect to them. So, and I've come across that quite a few times when I've talked to people who have sold uh, a business that they started, not for the purpose of building it up and selling it, but because they just wanted to run it. And that was something they wanted to do. And they you know, deeply cared for that brand and that product and that company, they don't want to just sell it to anybody. I mean, they want to sell it to the right person who they're going to see it go on and do more. I, I did it with a car one time. A timing belt broke. It was a really old 91 Nissan Maxima. It wasn't even mine. It was my wife's. And uh, she took it in to get it fixed. And they gave us the quote. And it was so old at the time that it was going to cost more to fix it than what it was worth. And the mechanic said, you know what? Well, I'd like to buy it off you. And we said, well, what are you going to do with it? And he said, I've got a, a nephew who just turned 16. I'd like to teach him to fix it and then give it to him as a gift. And we were like sold because the car was going to live on. You know, it was going to have a second life after us. I think people feel the same way about their businesses. And that's important. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic analogy to what happened there. And so could you walk us through the acquisition process? Obviously, I think at Pressnomics, you just uh, had the initial discussions, right? You didn't seal the deal over those few days right there and then, from what I can imagine. Yeah, at Pressnomics, we established that we were both interested. And so we made sure that we got in contact with each other. And I mean, it was a series of months after that where we were talking regularly. Uh, I mean, it was multiple times per week. We were talking and talking and talking. And uh, there was a lot of stuff to work out, a lot of things. I mean, I, I had a lot of information I needed to get from them to determine what they had, where they were selling, who their customers were, how many customers they had, uh, all kinds of stuff. A lot of numbers that had to be crunched. And my, my wife's a numbers person. So she had me asking for lots and lots of data. And uh, she had multiple spreadsheets going of all kinds of projections and uh, using different um, different methods and algorithms for determining, you know, project the projections. And then she would average those. And, you know, there's a lot you have to determine. And then even then you have to sit down and say, OK, well, this is what is there. But what do we want to do with it? And how would that change these things to make it something that it would be worth our investment? And so that took even more time because I had to figure out, okay, what is my plan? What do I want to do with this? What can I do with it? And why would that be something that would be worth investing in? And at the end of the day, I mean, 
everything I came up with that I saw as a potential for up themes was uh, there was so much upside and the the opportunities were there that there was really no reason not to do it by the end of the process. Um, that's been something that if there was one thing about the acquisition process that I liked the most, it was probably that part where I had to sit down and I had to really say, okay, what's this business doing now? What was it doing in the past? What could it be doing in the future? And how would I do that? Figuring those things out, walking down that path, that's that's a pretty exciting thing to do. And when you get to kind of jumpstart it by going with a company that already exists, already has a good brand, already has existing customers, it, it makes a lot of those questions easier to answer. And it seems to me that uh, you were able to be in a position where you could not only take that existing trajectory that the company was on, but actually improve it through your own skill set and your own passion for the business. That was something that the, the current owners at the time did not have the time or the passion for, right? Yeah, and I, I would say probably it was just a, a question of time. They They had a lot of things that were doing really well for them. And so their employees were looking at things and saying, well... You know, where do I need to spend my time? Which project do I need to be working on? And they didn't want them to have that question in their mind anymore. They wanted them to be able to say, this is your, you know, objective. This is what you need to be working on. This is where your focus should be. And by taking away one of those variables, it makes it very easy for the, you know, everyone to see, okay, these are our priorities. And by removing up themes from the, you know, equation, that fixed, that solved that problem for them. I think that's a struggle too, right? With people who are trying to juggle to two things, the product space and the, uh, say the client workspace, it, essentially something robs the other side. Either your product robs your, robs your client work or your client work robs your product. And in more, case, in, in more cases than, than none, right? Like client work always takes precedent because it's the urgent. It's the thing you have a customer breathing down your neck right now and the, cus and the product can kind of wane and kind of fizzle out. So it seems like that's kind of was this position that, that they were in, right? They, they had this passion for the product. They loved it. They wanted it to be treated right, but we got clients and we need our team to be able to focus on the clients and not be pulled towards this other thing. Absolutely. And the funny thing about that is, is if, if you are good at doing client work, it's hard to, it's hard to go into that product side of it and not always get pulled away from it by the client work because you've got clients that had a great experience with you and they want you to do more and they're contacting you and they're offering you things and they're telling other people. And so when you're really good at that, it, it tends to be something that gets out there. I've even talked to people who they got started in the product side. They thought they were a product company, but without meaning to, by attaching services to their product, little by little, they transitioned into a service company and they had to figure out, well, what does that mean now? You know, what are we? I'm the opposite side of that. I am much more a product person and I connect with the products better. I think about them in my head better. I can visualize them and think about the marketing and the customer, um, the, the life cycles of them, all of that. The services side, the client work and things like that, I'm, I'm really not built for it. I would be great if I had someone that I was partnered with that that's what they were great at and all I was focused on was the execution, but that's the only part of it that I, I'd really ever be good at and I don't have a lot of like desire to try that out. You know, but like everything, things change over time and new opportunities come up. So maybe one of these days I'll have a, a chance to try out being a, you know, client side uh, services 
uh, thing. But if it even did happen, I, I, I can see that there would probably even be a product involved, you know? Something I, I created or came up with first that was a part of that services uh, side. So, well, I can I can attest to that, right? Because we recently, for the WP Ninjas team, hired you to do the redesign of our branding site, and we used your one of your themes. That's probably your latest theme, right? Caliber, yep. and we used that as the foundation for the design, and then had you kind of customize the design specifically for us. And I can say, as somebody who's worked with you, and I love your design, right? That's why I came to you and I said I love your design aesthetic. As somebody who's worked with you on the client side, uh, yeah, you are definitely more suited for product. Um, I'm just <laughs> I warned you. I'm just kidding. Jean, do you have uh, any more questions as far as uh, this, as we kind of walk through this acquisition? Yeah, I was wondering, so just before the acquisition, what was the team like? Was it just you? Did you have other people working with you at the time? So uh, I have, um, I don't have any employees. I have contractors who work for me and they've worked for me for a long time. So three, four years now, I've had the same people working for me and it was uh, one support person and two developers. Um, I actually have only one of the developers now but it was because one of them got sick and he just couldn't uh, keep working. He actually had to, to move and uh, you know change his lifestyle as a result of his illness. But we, uh, he, he, the, neither of them at the time were actually working full time. So when that happened, we just transitioned the other one to going back to full time. And uh, that's worked out really well. They, uh, we've got a good relationship. And um, you know, my, my goal right now is to sometime in the near future have an, like a, uh, an office here locally where I live and um, have people that, you know, come in and, and work with me because I've always worked better in a group like that, a group setting. I'm more productive. Um, I have better ideas because I have people to ask them about them in a, a more live situation. Um, they they will just say things off the top of their head that will give me ideas for things that I, I you know, turn into other ideas those environments are better for me and it's where I want to be eventually. But right now um, I'm happy with the way things are going and we'll, you know, we'll make those things happen as they, the opportunities come up. Mm, yeah, that's very interesting. And this is something that me and James actually discuss quite often since we're all remote based and James has his own office, as you know, with, uh, with the team all working from one place. And so I think that's a very important observation that there isn't one style of work that is better than the other one. It all depends on the person himself or herself and what, what you find uh, best for your, your style of work. Yeah, for me though, I I know for sure that I work better in a group environment, and the only reason that even that happens now is because I've gotten so good at um, not getting distracted, working at home, kids and dogs and everything else running through the house all the time. I've learned how to focus so well that being in an office where there is that uh, the pop in distraction, somebody walks by your office and they're like, "Hey, just want to ask you something real quick," and it you know distracts you from what you're doing. Those things don't phase me anymore. So working in an office, all the things that used to be the negatives are now one of those things where it's like, oh, do not have to worry about those anymore because I know how to tune that stuff out and keep my track going. So Yeah, sounds sounds good. In my case, it's uh, very hard to even make an office because I'm constantly traveling. So there is no way I could make an office. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even imagine that. I am not a traveler. I will tell you that. Uh, I like the idea of travel. I like doing it occasionally, but if I had to travel, um, let's say I had to travel somewhere every month, I would lose my mind. 
<laughs> we actually had this conversation uh, in our last, in our previous episode. We talked about the the concept of digital nomadism, right? And and John is transitioning a little bit, settling down a little bit, but he's still and he. You could see it in the conversation, got a little bit of that bug of loving to travel. And Andy, I'm with you. I'm like, I want to be home. I want to have, I want to be in my own bed. I want to, I want to be settled down. And me, I'm like, I'm not even once a month. I, I can travel for six weekends a year. And that's about the extent of my travel. Like I'm done. Like after that I'm spent and I just need to stay home. Yeah, I when you come back from travel, I always find I'm so exhausted from it because it feels like it's so much extra work for me. I'm sure people they adjust to it, they get used to it, but um, for me, it just feels like I am wiped out after that, and uh, I don't enjoy that feeling. And it's not that I'm so you know comfortable with my routines and things like that. Honestly, I don't even have really a routine. The closest I come to being on a schedule is because my kids and my wife get up at the right same times every day because of school and work. And those little bits are the only routine I really have. But for me, it's more about um, I, I, I like to be comfortable. I like to be in an environment that I'm, I'm you know, it's my environment. Uh, I mean, I, I used to I wouldn't even go to the grocery store by myself. I, I would call a friend. Uh, I did it one time. My wife was out of town. We didn't have kids yet. And I called a buddy who lived in my neighborhood. And I was like, hey, you, you want to go to the store? He's like, for what? I was like, I need to buy a mop. I'd actually broken our mop cleaning the house while my wife was out of town and I needed to get a new one and I didn't want to go to the store by myself. Now, the solution to that was I had kids and now I take one of them with me and I don't even have to ask them. So I never have to be alone anymore. Uh, That's hilarious. (laughs) So Andy, another curiosity I have. So we hear a lot about teams and the amount of support tickets they generate. It sounds like it's not such a huge issue for you because you transitioned without lots of, not a lot of, pain and that transition from what I'm hearing? It can be deceptive. Um, We've gotten really good at handling our support. Most of our products are pretty mature at this point. So if there's a question to be asked, it's probably been asked and answered and we have that it's been solved or something, or we've added something to correct for where people were getting confused if it wasn't an actual fault in the theme or a bug. Um, And that's that's made a big difference. Another thing was uh, the Envato changes where they now include um, support as a part of the price and it cuts off after a certain amount of time. That uh, slashed my support from the standpoint of when I started enforcing those rules on the support channels, um, it dropped the number of users uh, like 95% because it was all the users I'd built up over the years all of a sudden becoming all the users who have active support or have purchased in the last six months. And that those two things made the biggest change for us. What I have found though, is anytime I entered into an area where I did something and I tried to do anything kind of different with WordPress, where I didn't just do everything exactly the way it does it, but I wanted to do something where it was like, okay, well, this actually, for what I'm trying to do here, WordPress doesn't do this the way it kind of people expect it to work. So we would do little things to try to solve those problems. And it's the interaction with plugins or if you were building a plugin, the interaction with themes that are doing things the way that they expect everything to be exactly the way WordPress does it. Those little things tend to be the most long-term constant pain points. So uh, BuddyPress plugin and um, uh, WordPress multi-language, those two plugins uh, for different themes at different times as they changed and made changes to their product, even though we weren't changing anything about our products, 
we had constant and repetitive support dealing with those and having to constantly upgrade our product to account for these changes. So the support rolling in with things like that, you know, that's that's normal. That's that's a normal product thing. We deal with it. And we we have a system for it. The paid support now also helps to deal with that. But I think just having a system for it and us knowing how we handle support, why we do things a certain way, you know, customer comes in this way, they ask their question that way, we, you know, handle it this way, we test it this way, we give them feedback on what we found out in our testing. And then we take from that what they've told us and what they come back and tell us afterwards. And we develop a, uh, a, a, a fix or a change that either needs to happen in the documentation or the product. We submit that on to the next step, it gets done, push it out. That process really makes support fluid. And if your support, even if you have a lot of support, if it's fluid, if you have a process for it and it can flow, it doesn't become a burden because even if it gets really, really high, maybe your support times change a little bit and it's taking you a little longer to get to them all, but you're still getting to them all without having to spend a lot of extra time or money on it. And I think it was, actually it was yesterday. Yesterday was the first time ever that my support person contacted me in the morning. And he said, there are zero support topics, new issues over the weekend. Wow. He said, I don't have anything to do right now. It's never happened before. So we're, we've, we've got it going right now. Wow. That's, that's impressive. I, I wish I could say the same for us. <laughs> hey, 35,000 products out there and zero support issues over the weekend. Something's working. There you go. It's not me though, because I took the weekend <laughs> off. And so with uh, Team Forest, they imposed this uh, support period, right? As you were mentioning. And how long is that? Yes. When you first buy the product, it incorporates a six-month support package. And when you, uh, at the time you buy it, you have an option to upgrade it to 12 months for a reduced price. And then when the support's running out, if you want to upgrade it to an additional six months before it ends, you can also get, I think, a slightly different discount, but still a discount. And once it's ended, you have to pay the full price. And the full price is some, it's a formula. They always have something where they take a percentage of the price of the product and they use that to get it. I don't remember what the percentage they use is, but I mean, it's, it's, I think it's more than half the price of the product for a six month portion of support, which, which is, I think, you know, makes sense. Uh, I, I really, I've never really been able to understand the idea of support being based on the price of the product because, you know, they price their products on, let's say you have an HTML template and yours includes a contact form and the other one doesn't. It's an exact formula they have for how much to price that if it has the form versus if it doesn't. So with WordPress themes though, they all are sort of expected to do sort of the same thing and they all have to support WordPress and all of its functionality. So I'm not sure how, like one that's priced at $69, one that's priced at $59, how does how does support cost more on the $69 one than the $59 one? Yeah, that's but true. I'm not in charge of these things, so. <laughs> And so how do you check whether someone has an active license or subscription? There's a, the Envato API now gives us access to all that kind of stuff. And so we built in a system where when they, uh, when they access our support site, it asks them to register with their Envato account. And as soon as they do, we tap into that, we pull the data, um, and we're able to instantly give them access to all of the support groups that they should be uh, in just based off that one data point. And it knows when their support runs out and all those sort of things. We can see uh, what products of ours they've purchased. So that helps us to know, okay, well, this person's buying lots of our products or this person's only buying one. And we've never really crunched that data or used it for anything. But just the fact that by just uh, contacting the API to find out what products do we need to support, it's already there. 
And uh, I'm, I'm actually really happy to have that. It's something I wish I had years ago. And um, only in the last, for me, only in the last six months have we even been using it. Although the support system kicked off about this time a year ago, um, my customers, I didn't want to, uh, I wanted to wait until six months had passed and that so that all the people that were on the forums had already bought the product knowing that there was a deadline for when they were going to get support before I kicked it in for us. So I did, I waited six months before and um, uh, I probably should have done it sooner, but at the same time, that was just how I felt would be the most smooth transition for them. Mm. And so does Envato provide their own support system or do you implement that yourself on your end? There is no support system through Envato. There's a comments area and it will show you if the person has active support or if they have bought the item, but it does not, comments are not really for support. They're threaded, everybody else's comments are mixed in, um, there's no way to post code really, you know, you know, in a narrow column like that. Um, I don't think hardly anyone uses that for support. Pretty much everybody that's doing uh, actual theme business on Envato, they have their own support forums. There's a few companies that have come along that have created specific products just for theme forest or Envato based support. There's a product, there's a site called Tixie. Tixie is a support system built by another Envato author who created it just for that. And, um, you know, you register and it, connects directly to your account and knows what your products are. And then it validates your, your, your customer's purchases. Um, I'm not sure how far along they are with the API integration because that's a, it's not a super new thing, but I know that they were sometime recently working on doing the a more in-depth API integration system. And what are you using on your end? I'm actually just using one of my themes that I built years ago um, that I launched, um, on my website, uh, and, and it's running, uh, a buddy, it's actually running buddy press and using the forum system, grouping people into, so each, each theme has its own group and you get access to that group mm -hmm. and the forum as a result, we never switched to a ticket system. And at this point, since we're hitting the levels of being able to have zero support after a weekend, there's, I don't see a, a ticket system being, uh, any better or worse than what we're doing now. And so how do you make the link between, say, a user posting on your forum and his details, like if he has a, an active license or things like that? Well, if they don't have an active license, it actually won't let them post. They wouldn't even have access to read the forums if they don't have an active license. That's something that I'm changing a little bit. We have a few products now. It's very few. It's mostly like old HTML stuff that we don't offer the support option. So Envato gives you the option of saying this is an unsupported product. And the way we're handling that is we use it as a uh, sidestep for the problem of if I ever take something down from the Envato website, and then let's say a, a critical security issue is brought to our attention, we have no way to patch that and make it available to our customers because we don't know who our customers are. Envato controls that data. So we have no way to contact them or let them know. If we keep the product up, even if we're not making updates to it, um, if a critical security issue comes out, we can patch it, push an update, and people will get notified instantly of that new version and they can instantly update. So we keep them active just for that reason. And I've never taken an item down, although the, the old HTML product I did in December of 2009, I might sometime soon, but uh, we we keep that active and what we use is we switch it to the support only uh, unsupported. And that's how we describe to our customers. We even had to explain it to a few recently where we said, this is this is active only for maintaining the product for existing customers. You're welcome to buy it, but we don't actively support it anymore. We really only do updates when it's necessary for something like um, a WordPress uh, 
let's say there's an incompatibility with a new version of WordPress, something like that. I mean, if it's not working with like a, an obscure plugin, we're not even probably going to worry about that because the plugin more than likely didn't exist when we made the theme and the purpose of it even being up still is just to deal with mostly security related things. We don't want people out there using a product of ours that we find out that there's something, you know, that's putting their site in danger and we can't uh, issue them a, an update or a fix or a solution to it. That's just, that would be, I think, bad business to do it that way. But there's no other way to do it with the Envato system. And so this is how we've kind of come up with. Before the show, we're talking about the time investment that goes into developing a new theme. Uh, could you share with our audience, perhaps there's, there are people who are interested in starting their own theme or theme shop on Theme Forest. Uh, if you could share like how long it would take for a person who's already obviously has the skills to design a theme, how long it would take to start the, a theme from scratch until it's submitted on Envato. And perhaps there are some, you know, revenue figures that are typical for people who are doing well, say if it does 10,000 a month, then you can consider it a successful theme. And perhaps if, if there's a point where you see most themes sort of lose their sort of tail off in their sales after a year or so, I don't know. Yes. So I would say that doing a theme, depending on what type of theme you're going to do, you're, you're looking at a minimum like one month investment if you want to do a theme that's even going to get accepted uh, on Envato. The rules and the restrictions, the, the, the requirements that they have now for actually getting accepted are more, they're more difficult to meet than the WordPress.com requirements. And I know this because UpThemes has products on WordPress.com. Uh, it is, they have the, they have equal requirements plus. So prepare for that, that submission of that theme to come back with changes that they are going to tell you need to be made. It's going to happen. It happens every single time. You could go buy a theme on ThemeForest that went live this week from someone and then resubmit it and they, you know, with a different design on top of it, and it will come back with things that they're going to tell you to fix because, I mean, they're ever-evolving requirements. So just a minimum of a one-month process, I would say, for a simple, let's say you're doing a theme just for a, a blog, you know, a personal blog theme. That's going to, the design, the requirements, the, just the scope of WordPress now and all the theme things it's capable of doing as a default, and you have to be able to show all those, uh, and, and, and make them all work, um, that it's a one month minimum. I can't even imagine doing it in less than that. Um, and I'm slow. So for me, that's not a month. It's more like a two month thing. If you're going to do one, that's kind of a niche thing. That's, you know, got a specific design for a specific area and it's going to work with a certain number of plugins that are meant to, uh, enhance it in those areas. Like I, the bad example would be a directory theme because those are so broad in their abilities that it would actually be a very big time consuming effort there. But if it's a, a relatively narrow one, like I did a political theme and there wasn't a plugin that gave me the say political functionality that I needed. So I had to build one, but if I'd already had that political plugin, I still would have probably spent two, maybe three months because you want to show the scope of the project and the, the, the demo has to be very, very, uh, you have to put a lot of time and detail into that demo site. All those things, they add up. The documentation, the design, the development, the demo website, um, the, the testing. So three months, I would say, for, for like an average theme. And if you're looking to do one that's uh, 
top selling multi-purpose mm-hmm. all there everything you could ever imagine theme um a lot of those people now they're spending 12 months or more on those things before they submit them and you go you look and some of them will even use that as like a sale, selling aspect of it saying more than a year of development or 18 months and you know um i don't know how that's like a sales pitch exactly like yeah it took us a really long time to do this you know but um but you see it so it's definitely a long involved thing now my my suggestion for anyone thinking about doing anything more than a three-month process for developing a theme to sell on a marketplace have a backup plan for okay let's say this theme doesn't get accepted or let's say this theme doesn't sell well what am i going to do with it after that so make sure you have something that it's like even if it's not a success I'll still make money off it or be able to use it for something this way. So like, let's say you're a freelancer and it's a theme that meets a lot of your requirements for things that you commonly need to do for your customers. You could probably get a lot of them to use it when they contact you and want to do things and you'd still get that use out of it. So I don't know, but but I would definitely be thinking about that. So what can uh, people expect in terms of revenue if there's a if one of their theme is successful? Are there any like averages for successful themes? Yeah, I mean, I guess you can. So I use um, I use a formula of, um, I guess, so since the pay scales are different with Envato, when you first get started, you're getting uh, 60%, I think it still is, and or 50% maybe. And then you move up to 70% is the max where you, you tap out. I always look at it from the standpoint of if I can release a product and it can do at least 1,000 sales in the first year, then it didn't fail. Um, the last three themes I released... One of them, I actually used that as the criteria for deciding what theme to do and what uh, area to go into. And it did it did a little more than that. What did it do? So it did uh, it did about 1,200 sales in the first year. So it, it met my standards. Uh, the next one, I, I knew it was a very narrow niche, but it was a personal project I had wanted to do for a really long time. So even though I did not project it hitting that number, I went ahead and did it because it was something I wanted to do. And it still hit that number of going, uh, it still hit over a thousand in its first year. Actually, it's hasn't been a year yet, but it's it's on track to hit that thousand. Um, but I didn't think it would. It's actually over the number I expected to get in the first 12 months now, and I've got another month and a half. So that's something I use as a gauging point. And since you can see the prices on there of everything, you know, people can do their own math and they can figure out like, okay, so here's how much I would make over this, and this is what I'd need to do. The thing I would keep in mind is that once you release it, don't think you're going to be able to immediately drop what you're doing and go work on the next theme and think you'll be able to build them on top of each other like that because you're going to get pulled away from it by support. People are going to um, want you to do that. And only because I have someone that I can pay to do support for me now am I able to actually drop from one project straight to the next. But I still do support for the first two weeks, um, all of it myself until about the second week I start bringing in my support person but I want to see what the things that aren't working or you know what problems people are having so that I can immediately make those things better and get them into the theme initially uh, I learn a lot from that so those first two weeks are always me as far as trailing off after the first year you start to see your biggest uh, dip in sales uh, like a lot of themes some people think that they only get really good sales in the first like month or the first when they're on the home screen of ThemeForest, if that's the case, then you don't really have customers. You're not really producing a product that is doing something that I would consider a business. You're just producing a bunch of themes and putting them out there and trying to make a little bit of money on them, and that's that's not sustainable. It should be able to do 
well, um, or at least sustain about a similar number uh, month to month for about the first year. It'll obviously go down some, and some months will even go up some, but but it's gonna be pretty close. I don't know what happens at that one year mark, but right around there, you start to really see that that trail start to go off. And it usually it'll just drop to another level that it'll sustain for a little while, but after that first year, you're not gonna really see, if unless you're hitting top list or something like that, or you have your own marketing system or advertising or a, a, a stream of people coming in to buy it because it's a very specific niche that nobody else has or is doing, and you have an in with that somehow, um, that's that's the experience I've had. That's awesome. Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. We're going to wrap up and do some closing remarks uh, after our, our final sponsor spot, but I wanted to say thank you for talking through us through your uh, process with Envato and, and, and your transition to UpThemes. Uh, and is there anything you, how can people get a hold of you if they want to find out more about you? Uh, where can they do that? If people want to contact me or send me their favorite cookie recipe, um, they can go to my website, parallelus.net. It's P-A-R-A-L-L-E-L-U-S dot net. So it's like the word parallel with U-S on the end for those of you that can't pronounce it like James. <laughs> Parallelus. Um, also, you can go to our, our new property, upthemes.com, which uh, we've got a bunch of new stuff that you're about to start seeing there. And uh, we're doing some really fun stuff with the existing products too. And, um, and then, of course, you can always find us on ThemeForce just by searching for Parallelus. Awesome. We're excited to see what happens with Up Themes, and uh, we're rooting for you. I think it's going to be awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you. We'd like to take a moment to draw your attention to a new host in town, Prest Managed WordPress Hosting. Prest offers all the benefits and performance of a managed WordPress host running on Amazon Web Services with some compelling additional features for those of you doing work for clients. Prest is a white label service that lets you create your own brand and bundle hosting into the services you already provide. The best part is that they handle all the hard stuff like billing, customer support, and server maintenance. Put together pre-configured plugin and theme packages for your clients' needs and build a recurring revenue stream as a Prest partner. Check them out over at Prest.net and turn the hosting over to them so you can focus on a great client experience, complete with hosting. Thank you once again to Andy for joining us today. It's been a very interesting interview and I actually have more than a page of questions that really arose while we were talking to Andy and so I hope to have Andy with us again in the future for a follow-up episode. In the meantime, you can always send us questions on podcast at mastermind.fm. You can leave a review on iTunes and subscribe on mastermind.fm. You can find me at Jean Galea on Twitter and jeangalea.com and likewise you can find James at James Laws on Twitter and his website jameslaws.com. Thanks, guys. Take care, and we'll see you in the next episode of Mastermind.fm.